James, I think, is one of the harder letters to process because it seems a little more disjointed than a lot of the other New Testament letters in that it hops from topic to topic in such a way that finding a central thought, which there usually is in Scripture in each book, there's kind of a what's called like a melodic line or, or kind of the center of a book and that's its theme and everything kind of serves that theme or flows out of it. James is a little harder to pick that out. To find one thing holding it all, to, holding it all together can be a little more difficult. However, what is clear from this letter is James's desire to shepherd these congregations in the truth of God's Word. So after discussing what is really the central issue in the book of James, which is this doctrine, really, of how the faith that justifies people by grace and brings them into a right relationship with God will result in good works that are pleasing to Him and serve our neighbors well after that, James returns to his practical instructions here in chapter 3. So, again, after focusing on this central point of Christian doctrine, the Holy Spirit has led James to begin discussing the matter of teaching. That's who he speaks primarily to, those responsible for giving instruction in the Word of God, mainly pastors in this context, but any who would endeavor to teach others the truths of Scripture. Right? The implication that opens the chapter that he goes on to really pull out is that the things we say matter. They matter. And that uh, this gives the church what might be its first fire drill, if you will. There's, you need to recognize the dangers and risks if what I'm talking about here, James says, gets out of control. So let's, uh, he says, let's focus on the truth about our mouths. What we say matters in the church and among God's people, because our hearts are still divided between flesh and spirit. Our words are tainted by our sinful natures. And if we reject the centrality of this teaching, if we forget how dangerous our mouths can be, just our mouths and the words we say, the things we say, it will be as impossible to be a church that glorifies God as one that so maliciously mistreats the poor, which is what he already discussed in chapter 2. Beloved, we need to be mindful of the danger we can do in a church with our words, and of course, in particular here in the beginning, from this position, those who teach and preach God's Word, which means we all need to be mindful of what's going on in our own hearts. That's really, you'll notice when the chapter closes, that's what James is driving towards here. We must constantly drink from the well of God's grace so that what is coming out of our mouths gives life to others rather than death. Okay? Rather than death. So let's look at James chapter 3 and I'll just start with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God holds us accountable for the things we say in particular, if we undertake the task of teaching others the Word of God. This is not something we tend to take seriously enough, right? That those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This, of course, doesn't refer to the matter of salvation, but that judgment according to works, which all Christians will go through, 
Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Our works will be judged according to how they pleased God. Those who teach the Word of God then are going to be judged in that way according to how they rightly or whether they rightly divided the Word of God when they taught it, which is a privilege to do, but a massive responsibility. Beloved, we are generally not mindful enough of this verse. We don't take it seriously enough in the church. Teaching the Word of God in any context, whether it's here in particular, of course, but in classes, in studies, these things, teaching the Word of God requires a knowledge of the Word of God and commitment to it as self-consistent that keeps us from misinterpreting it, right? It's not that we can't have differences of opinion on certain things in the Bible, of course, but we need to make sure that as a teacher, the orthodox kind of foundation of our beliefs are biblical so that even when we depart from what other people think, we're not committing heresy or apostasy or making some major doctrinal error, right? And that can happen so fast, even unintentionally. It can happen so fast. All too often, though, I think, we ignore this text for the sake of our programs and our structures and keeping them going. Now, I am not in this attacking the teachers we have. I don't know the heart yet of all the teachers that we have, right? I don't exactly know the qualifications. They, they were, for the most part, put into place before I was here. So that's something. So don't think it's like a personal attack on our teachers. We're just, this is what the text is teaching. And so that's what we're looking at. We, when we need teachers, though, generally, what, what do we do? We just ask for volunteer, right? You, you have an, a, a, a vacancy, and you ask for people to fill it. And, and if they fill it, that's great. And now you're a teacher. Now you're putting yourself under stricter judgment. That's what's actually happening. Whether you're teaching kids or uh, adults, we don't do any of the examination that is necessary to make sure someone is qualified to teach the Word of God. And we don't really, we aren't really set up to do that, right? We're, we're, and most churches aren't. It's not really an indictment on us. We just, that's not something we like to do. It, it can get messy. It can get, it can hurt people's feelings. You know, maybe, maybe you're not ready to teach yet at this time. And so, uh, that's, that's hard to hear. That's hard to do. But we, we, you would think in light of a text like this, we would say, man, I, I, I hope we're doing this the way that we should be. This, this, uh, this goes for, um, to lead people astray in the things of God uh, is not something God takes lightly, whether that's intentional or unintentional, right? This goes for pastors and any who teach, again, regardless of who they're teaching. This is given in the text, this admonishment, as a warning. You notice that that's the tone here. Listen, I don't want many of you to become teachers, James is saying to these congregations. If the Bible says not many of you should become teachers, and we're always trying to get more teachers, many of you should be teachers. You see how, how quickly that's just completely opposite of what the Bible says. We need more teachers, more people, more, more volunteers. And it's like James says, no, no, no. I, I don't want many of you to be teachers, right? That's how easy it is to get off track biblically. Why do we often assume that, that just wanting to do something qualifies a person to do it? Right, uh, or, or that when people have a desire to do something, we have the responsibility to accommodate 
that desire. That's a dangerous, unbiblical way of thinking. You wouldn't treat anything else in your life like that. I need a new engine in my car. I love engines. I, I love to fix engines. Are you good at it? No. I just love it. Awesome. Here's my vehicle, right? You wouldn't. I, I, I love to cook. I, my, my gift is cooking. Does your food taste good? No. No. But I love to do it. I want to do it. So we, we, when we come here, right, the, the, the priority level, the, the authority level of the Word of God, it goes up exponentially, and we tend to treat it with a lot more disregard. I think in a well-meaning way, if that's possible, like we don't want, it's a hard thing to say to someone, look, you, you can't, you're not ready to do this yet, right? That's a hard thing to say, but, and it takes a lot of work, and it would take undoing all kinds of things to, to implement that as a system. But I feel like, I, which is, I believe, according to Scripture, that it would be worth it. But it would be difficult. There's no question. And it would raise even more questions. And so, but sometimes it takes work to get where we need to be. This verse implies very heavily that there should be an overabundance of caution when it comes to the task of teaching God's Word. If we were thinking more biblically, we would make sure uh, and I, I say this, when I say we, I mean generally churches, right? We would make sure our programs and structures were developed in adherence to the Word of God rather than to meet the demand for goods and services, right? It's, I don't think it's worth it. And, and so, you know, things can often in, in church, you know, if we don't have that thing, the people will leave. And and the question for the church at that moment is, well, then should we have that thing? The question is, biblically, can we have that thing? Can we accommodate that biblically? Or would we just create a program and, and hope for the best? The first question we should be asking when we want to create a learning environment in a church is, not, is whether we have qualified teachers to do it, not whether we can get enough volunteers. And then... We should structure things accordingly based on what we have, right? So we only have two qualified teachers. Well, then we should only have two classes. Right? That, that's, I think, biblically, that would be the way to address it. I'm not saying we only have two qualified teachers. Please understand me, okay? I'm saying if you were to evaluate and that's what you came up with, then to submit to Scripture would mean we're going to respect and work with what we have. We're not just going to build more so that we have more so that people won't leave and people will like it when they come. And those are not the questions to ask when we're gauging whether or not we have things or do things. But again, we, we don't normally do that because we feel pressured by the demands people make. We live in a, a consumer-driven culture, and if you don't like, if people don't like what you have, they'll go find it somewhere else. Right? And so that's very hard when you're at church because, listen, when I walk in on a Sunday night and most of the room is empty, that's a gut punch. That's hard, right? That, that's hard for me to see. That's hard for everybody to see because this makes it seem like, oh, the church is not doing well, when in actuality, that really has nothing to do with it. Because in order to make that conclusion dogmatically, we'd have to know why people are missing. And, and we, we generally don't. And I don't know that we should. I don't think we should go around saying, where were you Sunday night? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying appearances, optics are important. And when things don't look like they're thriving from the outside in, it can be very discouraging. And so to, to, to go by the Bible, it seems like the more that you study it and read it, like Jesus, you, you thin out a crowd. 
right? And I know, I, of course, I know Pentecost and the first explosion, and you had thousands, but beloved, that stopped. That stopped very quickly once you get beyond the first century. So, um, but it's, it's never wise, the point being, to skirt around God's Word, especially in the matter of teaching the Word of God. And, and again, I, I realize for us to get there would take a massive change on how we approach things. And, so, and, and again, I'm not saying we have bad teachers. I am trying to say what the Bible is trying to say, I hope, that we must take teaching the Word with the same seriousness in the church that the Word of God does. Because what we say and the words that come out of our mouths matter. Okay, Now, that's, there's a reason for what he says in verse 1. There's a four that grounds this warning as we look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, by way of metaphor, or metaphors, these verses set the stage for the instruction to follow that, that addressing teaching has brought up in the mind of James. But it begins with a very dogmatic statement about our mouths, all of us now, and we need to listen. James admits right out of the gate that even as believers, we all stumble in many ways. That is normal to the Christian experience, to be a stumbler, to be spiritually clumsy. That's normal. We all do this. He puts all of us in there. Peter teaches us in his first letter that our flesh is actively waging war against our souls. We trip ourselves up on purpose. That's what our flesh does to our desire to be faithful. We're uh, therefore never really in a position to trust ourselves. Right? You, we want to think the opposite of how the world tells us to think. Trust yourself. Follow your heart. Believe in yourself. The Bible doesn't give us the evidence to believe that's a good idea or that that's a responsible way to live. And the variety of ways in which we stumble is limitless, right? I may stumble in ways that you would never stumble in. And you may stumble in ways that I would never stumble in. The point is we all stumble and we stumble in limitless ways. But then James makes it clear that everyone, every Christian, without exception, stumbles in what he or she says. Everybody stumbles when it comes to talking. And he says if you can find a person that has complete control of his or her mouth, you would be looking at a perfect person who has their entire body under control. We think you know that by how many, you know, abs a person has, right? Then that's a person that has their body under control. No, that's a person that has their muscular development under control. And bravo, I didn't get that gene. I, I wish I did. That would be great. But I didn't, I didn't get it, right? But this, the mark of true spiritual discipline, according to Scripture, this is amazing. The mark of true spiritual discipline is not how many chapters of the Bible we read each day and we want to read the Word every day, no question. 
It's not how long we can spend praying. It's not whether or not we drink or smoke or lust or lose our tempers, but whether or not we have complete control over our mouths. That's how the Bible says you would know somebody is truly, wholly, comprehensively, spiritually disciplined. If we had control of what we say, which we know from the teaching of our Lord Jesus in places like Matthew 15, 11, is a matter of what's in our hearts. For it is not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. The mouth is just the vessel for the heart. That's why the mouth is so corrupt. And James teaches that we basically have no ability to tame it. None. That's an amazing thing to say to people that have been born again and regenerated. You can't do this, he says. You can't do this. What James is doing is putting us all in a position to listen to what he's about to say. We all need to hear this. Beloved, remember what he said. We must be doers of the word, not hearers only. And none of us has the justification here to ignore or look past this passage or think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. When he just said, no, it, trust me, it applies to you. It applies to me. In verses 3 and 4, he explains what he means, that a, you know, a little device, a bit, can control a, an entire horse. That, that little bit makes the horse's whole body obey us. It, it makes that horse do our wishes for it. That's what our mouths do. They reveal our will, our desires. That is why they're so corrupted and dangerous. Because this is how you know what's in here. Not exhaustively, like God does. But this is how you know. In verse 4 he says, look at ships. Ships are often massive things riding on the chaos of the sea, blown about by the winds, but they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Beloved, the problem with our mouths is in our wills. Right? It's, it's in our desires. That's the problem with how we talk. We have to come to terms with this teaching as believers. To be born again does not mean we simply start adding Christian virtues to our lives and become generally good people. It means we have been killed and raised to new life while we still live in these fallen bodies that come fully equipped with everything rotten about a fallen nature. You don't have to add anything to us to make us corrupt. That's what we are. And we need look no further than the mouth to see this, to hear this, really. Including what we're equipped with, this tiny part of our bodies relative to the rest of it, that has full control if you're listening to the kind of life we have. Full control. Right? Your, your mouth can get you places or keep you from going places. It's just, it's, it's, if we were to have a moment of clarity where God revealed to us what our words could create or could make happen, I think we'd be devastated into um, self-loathing and suicide. I really do. Just if we knew how corrupt we really were on the inside and what our words could do. 
The point here is how small the mouth is relative to our body and yet how great is the trouble it causes. Just real quickly, apply that truth then to teaching God's Word. My goodness. And, and we don't, I don't think we take that task seriously enough. Right? We're, again, we're just looking mainly for, do you have a desire to do this? And beloved, it, it, there, it has to go deeper than that. It has to go deeper than that. If we would profess, as we do as a church, that the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice, that is absolutely correct and biblical to say. If we believe that, then the implication is we would be diligent to submit to it and act like it in everything we do as a church, right? And where, where, would, where are, when churches put things together as a church, here's what we're going to do. How is James 3 factoring into what they're setting up and the decisions they make? We focus, we tend to focus on good works mainly as a matter of the things we do versus the things we don't do. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James tells us, look, if you don't have your mouth under control, you're so flammable, you'll burn a whole church down. You'll destroy a whole family. Right? You'll, you, he'll say later, this is why you murder, this is why you fight, because your hearts are so twisted still in the flesh. It's a hard teaching. So do we see now how easy it is to cheapen God's law as believers? Right? We, we focus on certain things, which, which is right, which are right things, while completely neglecting the other matters and somehow believe that that makes up for disobedience or rebellion. We, we, we don't listen to Jesus. You tithe dill and mint and cumin. These you should have done while not neglecting the others. We tend to focus on the things we can obey, and we think we raise our stock like that. I'm not good in this area, but I'm in this area. So my big my uh, uh, soapbox as a Christian is in this area, right? Because I don't struggle here. I can have a clean conscience and talk about this. And here is James saying, every single one of you is a sewer inside. I mean, that's that's what he's saying here. Oh, how we need Christ to have control of our mouths. Meaning we still need Him in our hearts. Right? Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue, that is that which physically forms our words, is just like a bit or a rudder. It's small in our bodies, seemingly not nearly as important as arms or legs or something, and yet it boasts of great things, just like a bit or a rudder. Our tongues can say, you see this big body? I, entire, it's in, I, I control its entire direction. After all, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. In verse 5, again, James is just stacking picture upon picture to show the relation of our words to the disaster they can cause. They're completely out of proportion. Tongues are in size to the amount of damage they cause. And, and we are so quick to just lose control of what we're saying and just start spewing and spouting and saying whatever we want. I do this. No question. It's so easy because we're so fallen in our flesh still. We know about wildfires and forest fires nowadays, don't we? There's a whole 
different experience to hear about those things. When we lived in, in California, we lived in the desert. We lived in uh, just this arid, dry. I mean, and, and, and sometimes on Route 8, you know, like a two-hour straight shot to San Diego, there'd be fires out there, wildfires. And it was always, I don't know that it would have gotten down in the valley because I don't know what would burn there. By the time you got into the valley where we lived, the Imperial Valley was just sand. But, I mean, it can, it, it, we were driving to Anaheim one time uh, late at night for a little weekend trip as a family, and you could see way out in the distance on the horizon, fire line, and on the radio they're talking about it. They're telling you the direction it's going. And so, so this is something we know about the destruction a fire can cause. That's very deliberate metaphorical language, right? Fires are so destructive and can spread so fast. Those things literally just start with a spark or just one tiny flame. One mischievous kid, as the wildfires there for a while in California had been started by some kid that just lit something on fire. And I mean, it destroys entire communities, right? This is how the malice of our hearts, this is exactly how the malice of our hearts that comes out of our mouths can sweep across entire families or companies or churches and utterly destroy them. Destroy them. Listen to the language James uses here. Let me read 6 through 12. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, it's right here, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. By hell, beloved. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Did you hear that? No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we, so he's talking about Christians. This applies to Christians. It's written about Christians. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Do we hear James? He's yelling in a crowded church, Fire! Fire! Get, get out! Look out! Evacuate! The tongue is a fire. That's dogmatic. That's, that's his Bible as, Thus saith the Lord. The tongue is a fire. We have flames on our faces all the time, waiting to set an entire forest on fire, Every moment. Whittle that down to the individual. Each one of us possesses every moment the ability to burn our families down, to burn our churches down, to ruin our lives, to ruin our careers, to ruin our most important relationship. It takes one horrible word one horrible sentence, one horrible strain of gossip. And it doesn't matter what has preceded it. It can destroy 
beloved. It, in other words, we, we are so, and, and in a sense rightly so, concerned about the way of the world. And I get that, and I, I, it is good to be like that, to be aware of the evil that's around us. But beloved, the evil burning and stewing within us, beloved, is much closer, much more of a threat, much more of a threat to our church is us than that. We have to believe this. This isn't Tony advancing an agenda to get his way in the church about something. What, what is there? I'm, this is the Bible. This is right now. Everybody sitting here could destroy with this. The youngest to the oldest. How do we not take this passage more seriously? We have active flames on our faces waiting to set an entire forest on fire every moment. The need we have for Jesus is so immense we can't grasp it. It's, you just, we can't comprehend the need for Jesus that we all have. We are, are we even aware of the fact that every church is actually on fire? Flammable. Because of us, because of the people in it. Now, it's not fun to think of ourselves that way. We don't want to think of ourselves as capable of doing such a great, huge, big thing. How could I affect you? Have a mouth. Right? You set a whole forest on fire. I have a mouth. And I talk more than any of us. Right? At least in here, that's. That's pretty scary. Like you don't you don't get up here and say things willy nilly. You don't do that. You can't do that. We're we're willing to put up with so much fire, which kills people and burns things down. We're willing to put up with so much of it because of the mouths, or or um, without recognizing what God's word that God's word says. That's what it is when we talk out of our desires. When we talk out of our sinful natures. We, we, we don't realize what we're doing. We think we're just, I just have this opinion. I just have this desire. I just have this, I want to have my say. We all talk like that. We all want to have our say. We all want to make sure that we're heard and all this. And, and sometimes there's a, I suppose, although I think it's hard to argue biblically, there might be a time and a place for that. But, Beloved, we, we just we aren't thinking that when I say this, when I get this out there, what is it going? What does it have the potential to do? You say, well, Tony, how am I supposed to think that clearly every time I open my mouth? Beloved, that's what the Bible is doing. Exactly. How, how am I supposed to be thinking that clearly every time I go to open my mouth? Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. That's what he's saying. Not everybody that starts a fire intended to start a fire. But once it's burning, it's too late most of the time. And how great a fire is set on fire by our tongues, by our mouths. Do we realize how much scorched earth there is in our wake because of things we've said? How many broken lives and ruined relationships and conflict has been allowed to decimate our church because our mouths are filled with fire? How much? Like when is enough enough? 
When does a church, when does the body say enough destruction by the fire of people's mouths? Enough is enough. When will the church understand that this is happening? When will we take this seriously? Man, the way we talk is more exponentially important than we can fathom. And instead of fighting these fires, we feed them with selfish gasoline that remains in our own hearts. And beloved, again, he's talking to Christians. So let's forget about being proud of ourselves that we don't use cuss words, at least not a lot. That, that's not even what James is saying about our mouths. I mean, let's, again, we want control over our mouths. We don't want to um, speak words that are dirty and improper. Absolutely. But don't think that Jesus clutches his robes when you're using the hammer and crack your finger by accident and don't say fiddlesticks, right? Like Jesus, I'm not saying it's not sin. I'm saying that Jesus is not like, right? Why don't we take our other, why don't we take our non-cuss words seriously would be the question. Not, hey, go cuss. No, no, no. Don't straw man it. Pastor said, I can cuss the wallpaper off the wall. No, he didn't. Okay? That's not what I'm after at all. We drip poison with gossip and murmuring and complaining. Why don't we take the Bible seriously about murmuring and complaining? They're sins. Sins. Like when you're complaining, you're sinning. And the Bible says you are, you are dripping fire out of your mouth. No, man, we, we want to talk about the big sins, murder. You know, yeah, don't don't neglect it. But I mean, what it is rare to find a a sin or issue that gets this much airtime in Scripture. Right. Talks about sexual immorality a lot. That's a big one. But this. But you don't see anybody boycotting the way people talk. Why? Because everybody has a mouth. We drip with venom when when we're plotting and, and playing games and working people to get our way. It's, it's so satanic. And yet we pretend that only sticks and stones break bones. I don't know who made up that saying. It's somebody that never got teased and bullied and made fun of. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Baloney. Baloney. You were never called a name. Right? You never had the kids in your elementary school singing songs about your dumb, generic shoes. That stuff hurts. Right? Sticks and stones. Names will never hurt me. Man, get out of here, man. Come on. We, we, we pretend that like it takes something more to hurt people to the destruction of our own churches and our own livelihood. If we trace 99% of the reasons a church dies or splits or never gets over the hump, never gets out of its own way, normally what we'll find is that people have said things that caught fire or they hurt and and the scars are too deep and things have never been forgiven and this root of bitterness has taken place and it's just it sits in a church like a big tumor and that the body couldn't grow if it wanted to right because it's just making everything around it sick and dysfunctional and we need mercy beloved we need christ to, to do his work in us Do we not realize that our unsatisfied, unbelieving hearts are just as much, if not more, an immediate threat to the lifeblood of our church than the wiles of Satan himself? 
we just read very interestingly in James chapter 1 that, that Satan, we, which we know this, Satan can't make you sin. But Satan also cannot create out of nothing. He's not God. Right? So, James, we always say, well, yeah, the devil really had me. The devil really got me. James says, no, 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 you sin when you're carried away by your own lust and enticed. The devil just works with the raw material we give him. And here, the, the way this text ends in 17 and 18 is, is him trying to tell you, you know why this is a problem, don't you? Saying that to Christians. Because of what's in here. Satan is just working. When, when Satan and his, and his minions and, and the darkness look inside of us and see this, this desire, this thing we want that we can't get, he, his, he just he drips with excitement and venom. Right? I am going to exploit that and I'm going to tear this church down. I'm going to tear this family down. I see what that dad really wants and I see how that husband is mad at his wife for this and is bitter at her towards this. Let's go to work right there and just needle it. Needle what he is until it comes out and he just rips this family apart or it rips this church apart. Beloved, Ephesians 6, be aware that this is going on all the time. All the time. I guarantee you, Satan is at work now in this church to tear it down. And in the church, all the other churches in Moundsville, right? That's, that's, that's what he does. That's what he's after. He doesn't have to like stir the minds of the government to be evil or technology or corporate media. They are. We are. But we're the light. We have the gospel. He's going to stay where his schemes will do maximum damage. He's after us. And the main way he gets at us is all you have to do Read the screw tape letters or the wither tongue emails, kind of an updated version of it. That's all he's going to do. Hey, you see that weakness? You see that desire that's not being met in that person? Needle that. And they'll start talking and you're, you can retire as a demon. You can go work somewhere else. doesn't even have to work hard. He just has to convince us that we should say whatever we want. That's all he has to do. You know what? You want to say that? You say it. You have every right to say it. You've been hurt. You say it. You've had to stay quiet. You say it. You've not been able to say what you want. You say that. That's, that's our flesh. And the devil is just pouncing. Oh, man. Just like when we argue with people. It's like, why, why don't we get ourselves under control? Like, don't just spout off. I'm horrible about this. Like I get, I can get so defensive so fast, and I'm a pastor. That's concerning to me. Or, or like in in, in marriages, like we we're one flesh with this person. Like we don't have to win this argument. We don't have to look cool and right. Like well, Lord, help us. Why why can't we just back off? Why can't we do that? It's just, beloved, we need Christ so much as believers. It would be great if this was speaking in general about humanity. And James uses these personal plural pronouns about Christians. And don't forget, this applies immediately to how bad teaching will corrupt. So there's that too. I mean, 
our tongues, these weird, gross little things in our mouths that are a world of unrighteousness. A world of it, Jane? A world of unrighteousness? This little thing? Yes. Yes. Is James being overly dramatic here? Not, not if we believe the Bible is the Word of God. It's set among our members in such a way that this little thing stains our whole bodies. And then listen to this, beloved. It sets on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. Really? What if the Word of God said that the disasters and the difficulties we face in our lives were mainly, if we're honest with ourselves, the result of the fact that we can't control our mouths? Right? How, how, how many marriages are broken because somebody decided that to say what they wanted to say at all costs, no matter how much it hurt? And, and look, the person that offends when you say horrible things, you may be prompted to go back and say, sorry, sometimes in this world, the damage is done. You can't come back from everything you say. It'd be great if we could, but we can't. We may not want to believe that this is true. That James is overreacting for effect. But beloved, hell takes our mouths very seriously. Hell knows. They know. The evil one has us all bamboozled, I think, sometimes. You know, we don't listen to rock music. Don't read Harry Potter. Whatever. You know, and on and on it goes. While the devil, he's chopping firewood and squirting lighter fluid on the desires of our hearts. Where is hell dumping gas? Where is hell stoking embers in a fireplace? Right here. Right here in my heart. Because the devils, who know and believe that God is one in 219, and have the good sense to shudder about it, also know and believe that we can't get out of our own way. Stoke our hearts, and flames will pour out of our mouth. The devil is always stoking the flames of my flesh because he knows he can burn a whole church down, or ruin a family, or ruin a company or a nation or whatever it is with a, with a good lie or a bitter heart. That's all it ever takes. That's all. That's why the Lord tells us in Ephesians 5, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't sleep on it. Don't, because you're going to get increasingly bitter. A root of bitterness will spring up. But you, 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 you've got to, there are things you need to take to the Father and let go. And when you realize, I can't. When you realize that there are things you cannot let go. Plead for mercy. And let us learn to shut our mouths. Right? In verses 7 and 8, we have the power to tame animals for crying out loud. That's not an easy thing to do in light of the curse. We're at enmity with Creation, And yet, we can eventually tame a wild animal. You can tame a lion. That's amazing. You can tame a grizzly bear if you're a psycho and you want to do that. You want to tame a bear in the wild. You, I suppose at some point you can in some way until that bear remembers that it's a bear and you're delicious, right? But in verse 8, the Bible makes an amazing statement using words we don't believe Christians should be using. It's always one of the verses that got to me when you study new counseling. But yeah, but what about this? Right? 
but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You can tame animals. You can't tame the tongue. I can tame a lion, literally, but not this. Correct. What more evidence do we need? I thought can't was a four-letter word for... That's a shirt. Can't is a four-letter word. Christians tend to talk... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can't tame your tongue. Which would mean... Maybe we should look at that verse in its context before we just use it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I cannot bench 450 pounds. I Believe it or not, I don't have the muscles for that. Even though it looks very much like I do. I get it. That's a joke, everybody. That's a joke. But isn't the word can't, don't, don't you say can't as an excuse for not being willing to actually fight my sin and temptation. Oh, I can't stop it. That's a bad way to talk. Beloved, we cannot tame our tongues. We cannot. Period. Period. We can't get this under control. Why not? Well, because it's a restless evil. It never sleeps. And it's full of deadly poison. You think of some of the sweetest old ladies you've ever known in your church's history. And right here is a big old bottle of deadly poison. Isn't that crazy? It's a res- with a straight face, right? Believing that we're pious and good, we use our mouths to both bless our Lord and Father. So again, it's talking about Christians. And then with that same mouth, curse people who are made in the likeness of God Himself. Yes, out of the same mouths, Christian mouths, come two complete opposites, two complete dichotomies. Blessing and cursing. One of those should come out of a believer's mouth. The other should never come out of a believer's mouth. And both are coming out of their mouths all the time. Every Christian does that. This is how we talk. We're all capable of it and we do it. And James says, my brothers, which is saying in Greek, my brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. We tend to just take it as normal. Well, people are people. Yeah. Therefore, they are horrible. Why do we put up with this? The, like the, the, just the, the way churches and families and things are destroyed because of mouths. We don't take them seriously enough. Nobody's stabbing people. Nobody's shooting people. Nobody's murdering people. Yeah, are they talking? And I guarantee you there's evil there. There's poison. There's fire. But, so when, here's the thing, and I'm trying to, I've talked a lot, I'm trying, I need to close it down here. When James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so, okay, James, but what are we supposed to do about it? Because you just said, we can't tame the tongue. So you, you tell us that it shouldn't be this way, and then you tell us you can't fix it. Where do we go then when the Bible, in the perfect, righteous, and good law of God accuses us with this exhaustive knowledge of what we're really like inside? What do we do when the Bible cuts through all the, the layers of righteous protection we build around ourselves and the way that we uh, convince ourselves that we're on the right path and we're pleasing to God even in what we say? What do we do when the Bible cuts right through that? 
and reminds us that obeying the Lord is impossible. We can offer up our own righteousness, but the righteousness God requires, what He requires us to be and commands us to do, we can't do that. And grace doesn't mean it's no longer commanded. right? No, that's commanded. What do we do? Because in verses 11 and 12, James uh, finally tells us why we can't tame our tongue. Why there are restless evils full of deadly poison. Okay? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Well, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? The answer is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So there it is. We see what James is doing in this letter. Their treatment of the poor back in chapter 2 brought into question whether or not they were truly believers. Here, the words they say and the cavalier attitude they have towards teaching God's Word brings into question, once again, whether or not they're true believers, whether or not the inside is redeemed. And James says, because I can't tell by the way that you're talking and by the things that you say. Your words reveal that the inside might be pure evil. So we don't need to buckle down and try really hard to talk better. Beloved, we need our insides changed. I need a fire extinguisher from heaven to put out my instincts and my nature because they're on fire with my selfishness. We talk the way we do. We choose the words we do. We demand and we gossip and we lash out and we argue and we lie and we complain and we murmur and we threaten and we spray fire until we burn down whatever is standing in our way because our inside is rotten. Our flesh is rotten. Lord, have mercy on us. Okay. So that's where the text has taken us tonight. Here we are, beloved, stripped bare before the living Almighty God as still filled with poison and fire. Still sick in our flesh, ready to burn everything down regardless of who it hurts, even if that's us. And beloved, if our response to James 3, 1 through 12 is to say, okay, I need to do better in this. I do sometimes let my words get out of hand. I need to be more intentional about how I talk and what I say than we've not listened. If it was that easy, this text wouldn't exist. We haven't taken the word seriously enough if that's what we're thinking. We haven't rightly heard it. And if we haven't rightly heard it, we can't do it. This text kills us, beloved. It's pure law. And who feels great about themselves right now? Right? And that's its primary function, to put a mirror in front of us, to tell us as believers that this is what God requires of us, and we can't perform it. So this is not the time to try and offer sacrifices to God about how we're doing good in other areas, to try and find things in us that are pleasing to Him. No, let us bow our heads, realizing we ought not even lift up our eyes to heaven, beat our chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what you do in response to this. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Beloved, let the Word do its work. God is not telling us this by the Holy Spirit to defeat us. He talks to us because we're often spiritually like children. And we think way too highly of our abilities. And we don't understand the predicament we put ourselves in and how much need we have. So we need a Father. And the mercy of our Father triumphs over the judgment of our Father.
even still. Even still. We stand exposed and accused as guilty by this text. And yet we stand justified by grace through faith apart from works. So the first thing, ask Him for mercy. Secondly, remember that the Gospel is for sinners. He says this about us. He knows this about us. And He still loves us tonight, right now, with all that flame burning and smoking inside. He loves us. His path is the path of life. Trust Him tonight. Lean on Him. Let us repent of our sins. And let us hope in the Gospel. We cannot tame our tongues. We can't. But He can. He can. For nothing will be impossible with God. We must constantly drink from the well of God's grace so that what comes out of our mouths gives life to others gives life to others rather than death. Beloved, we don't need coached in how to speak. We need cleaned out by the grace and love and righteousness of Almighty God. We need to go to Him and ask Him to make us walk by the Spirit so that we will not give in to its lusts or give in to the lusts of our flesh, which more often than not we are realizing, oh, that's mainly a matter of what comes out of my mouth. Agree with God that we're undone by this text and then agree with Him also that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can put out a fire. God can steer a ship. God can steer or tame a horse. God can turn the ashes of restless evil and deadly poison into the beauty of His righteousness. Stay in His Word. Drink from the well. Get more Jesus in you, meaning more of His Word. Get it in you, get it in you, get it in you, and walk by the Spirit. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my Word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. That's what the word does. When the word goes in, it finds fire and poison. And by the power of God, what will come out of this because of that word is pleasing to him. And helpful to my neighbor. God produces from soil that doesn't have it. Seed that is pleasing to him. And fruit that glorifies him. That's what the word does. How do I, how do I tame the tongue? You stop trying and get the word in you. God tames the tongue. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah 55, 10-13. Beloved, do not look inside tonight. Don't. All that you'll find there is fire and poison. Don't look inside. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Hear the life-giving, merciful word of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation tonight. 
what is impossible for you and I to do, He does. Lord, have mercy on us. Praise His name.